Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Episode 42 is a follow-up of episode 41. So I kindly request you to first listen to episode 41. to connect with our discussion in episode 42 thank you and enjoy the episode yeah these are very important points that you mentioned and you know just came to my thought i know this is not a topic of discussion but as a uh, space and defense expert i i can actually see the way russia ukraine conflict was portrayed in the international domain and the way israel and palestine conflict is portrayed at the moment uh whereas i see the actions of russia in ukraine uh were aggressive of course uh but they were not you know like simultaneous like people are still you know living uh in U- uh, ukraine like especially in the capital city there are businesses are still on everything is still on i mean i recorded uh, several podcast uh, with some of my uh, former colleagues and friends from the industry who are currently residing in kiev uh, when the attack was actually going on at that time uh, but things were not as much as aggressive as uh, what we see right now in this conflict uh, but we see the shift in the narrative you know i think this is where the uh, disinformation comes into the play and that's exactly the reason i mentioned that you know uh, this especially happens when there are people who post things just based on their personal opinion and don't really have a ground reality aspect or the elements in their analysis so we each of us i think individually it's not only the governments we cannot always blame government of course uh, there are some faults in the governments in our respective governments as well uh, but a lot of power is in our hands as well as the people as an individual as someone who is even serving in the industry too that unless and until we know the right facts we shouldn't you know uh, post or possibly uh scream or shout even on the social media about those things so you know from that perspective apurva uh, i just had a question uh, because this question relates a lot to the narrative uh, what role does international media coverage play in shaping the public perception of the conflict and how it might it impact the international responses i mean uh in my perspective it's not just in my perspective i guess everyone would agree with it yes. international media coverage plays a very critical role in contributing to any discourse yes and it is not limited to mainstream media anymore but it also includes the social media you have twitter which is now x you have instagram you have facebook you have tiktok you have other channels as well that are having this telegram and discord and various other where everyone is discussing about the recent developments taking place across the world so 
in this case as well in the recent uh, israel uh, israel <clears throat> hamas war there is an unprecedented unconventional warfare that is taking place where both the sides are trying to put forth their side of the story to play as to who is the victim and who is the aggressor and this is the power of media that it has the power to portray a victim as an aggressor and vice versa i mean let's just take a few instances which has taken place since october 7th in this regards you initially had a reports about the 40 uh, babies being beheaded in kafar aza which eventually spread like a wildfire the report was on october 11th the next day israeli officials are saying that the government has not confirmed the claims of the beheadings okay on further investigation in this report it is say, uh, there were news that some journalist from particular media house had said that israeli soldiers had told her that they had found the babies with their heads cut off <clears throat> and that not only that the video was viewed over, over for millions of times on x and later on that same journalist is say, saying that the soldier told her that they believed that the uh, babies uh, 40 babies were beheaded like that so somehow 40 babies were killed so somehow these two pieces of information was connected and the story became 40 babies were beheaded the most okay. high profile claim in that particular re- report was of president joe biden who said that he has seen the evidence of those uh, information later on there was pressure on white house when they ret- eventually retracted and clarified that biden was only referring to the news reports and which does not include a refer to the photographic evidence you have this case then you have another case of the al ahl uh, hospital that was recently under attack both the sides were so fast in blaming each other now israel was blaming uh, palestinian organizations palestinian militant factions then you had palestinian militant factions i guess it was palestinian islamic jihad uh, pij that came out and said we do make errors but this is not the mistake that we have done and both of them both the sides were bl- putting the blame on each other without waiting for any investigations or understanding as to whether it was the <clears throat> i mean obviously the news has now been clarified as to what exactly happened that it was a parking lot and everything but that news also spread like wildfire and everyone was quick on blaming one side or the other then you have other information as well you know the videos that are coming through uh, where you have one uh, wom- uh, there is this one woman who is holding her child and there are uh, these hamas fighters i think it was hamas fighters were saying they were saying we won't harm you we won't harm you and then there was another jewish woman who was interviewed she said that hamas members had hamas uh, there were people from the hamas group that had come into her house and they thought and she thought that they are going to kill her and they said that no don't be afraid we are not going to kill you they had a banana and left and finally there are also interviews that are coming uh, up about the israeli hostages that have been released by hamas so when you look at all these videos in parallel to each other there is a notable shift towards the palestinian narrative highlighting the palestinian stories the palestinian plight how israeli uh, defense forces the offen- uh, 
ground offensive has inflicted such increased casualties no they, yes. i mean use of information warfare has taken place in the past as well there's no denying because there have been ground offensive in the past as well uh, between israel and gaza but the general trend during even during those conflicts was that <clears throat> the the moment there is an increase in civilian casualties there is a decrease in israeli uh, support there is an a decrease in support amongst the policy makers and the international community for israel situation so these factors play a huge role in terms of be it misinformation or disinformation and the increasing role when it comes to social media is that <clears throat> both the sides say that the social medias are supporting one side the other side is saying that it's the israeli uh, israeli stories are being uh, put forward in the social media than the other side and vice versa this has also been going on however one needs to understand that in social media there are algorithms and there are moderation but eventually these algorithms cannot suppress the photos and videos when there is an increased volume of posts and thousands of people are engaging with it Now look at the situation right now. I mean, if you go out, uh, I mean, go on any social media, you have hashtag Free Palestine, hashtag I stand with Palestine, hashtag I stand with Israel, and everything. So the social media is a great, very important tool, and why? Because unlike the previous generation, which relied on newspapers, which relied on TV channels, this. generation which is the gen z and the millennials are more reliant on social media for their news they rely on social media for all the inform getting all the information across the world so for someone who is unfamiliar with the complexities of the israel palestine conflict about any politics that is taking place they would try to understand this based on the information that is on social media and they would be influenced they are being influenced based on the images and the videos and the photographs rather than just one person saying about it so this completely shifts the narrative shapes the narrative of any conflict yes. now you won't say that this has no impact i mean a lot of people say that so what if someone is liking it so what if someone is sharing it so what someone is commenting on it so what if there's some hashtag or someone is viewing about it people don't realize it that once you have viewed these things it shapes the perception amongst the public when a large audience is looking at it it shapes the perception of a larger population of uh, the general population across the world not just one place across the world and it has a huge impact because it critically leads to a situation where the general population's opinion also impacts the entire conversations and the responses that are taking place at the policy level now let's take the case of the united states again i'm going to refer to us because again it's a primary ally for israel yes there has been a gradual shift look at the conversations that are taking place in uh, the universities of uh, the united states of america i mean you you can't use that as a parameter for the entire population i completely get it but there 
they it's the younger population that is much more supportive of the palestinian uh, narrative rather than for israel rather than for the israeli narrative until 2 yes. weeks ago white house spokesperson was saying that ceasefire right now would only benefit hamas and we are not going to draw any red lines for israel that was the situation that was the statements that were coming out from the white house but that has drastically changed why because in the united states of america next year they are going to have an election and president biden is seeking for a reelection and the israel this particular conflict this particular war is a huge challenge for president biden and his election campaign because democrats for for the democrats the muslim and the arab american vote is very critical they muslim and the arab american voters have traditionally been a strong base for the democrats and the israeli gaza conflict israel hamas war has eroded this support this is prevalent in various uh, swing states you know like michigan you have ohio you have pennsylvania where even a small population holds a substantial sway in 2020 biden <clears throat> enjoyed a huge support from the arab and muslim americans but the recent polls as per the arab american institute shows that there is a steep decline amongst the these voters for president biden because of the way the government is handling the war for them they they are straight up upfront about it no ceasefire in gaza no vote for you and this plays a huge role when even a small margin can turn the tide yes i saw this report i read about this report for the first time about the end of october i mean october let's say october 31st on november 1st president and the vice president kamala harris is announcing about the united states first ever national strategy to counter islamophobia these developments do not take place in uh vacuum these developments do not take place randomly there are no coincidences in political developments this much i have understood for uh, based on my experience it's just various dots that needs to be connected the result was out two or three days before and the uh, announcement is being made simple why because the support is being eroded and they need their support and it is very important in swing states not just one but several swing states one of them is michigan so social yes. media is now driving the entire public opinion on november 6 now not just this on november 6 president biden is then now calling prime minister netanyahu and saying it, it is critical for a humanitarian pause and from october 7th to up until this situation until this statement there was no such uh, developments that was taking place developments that were not taking place for two weeks before have suddenly taking are taking place now because of the public opinion because of the public perception how public opinion influences the policy makers because they form the voter base not just that apart from this there is another video that i was looking on the internet about republican candidate ron desantis in the united states he was interacting with a lot of people in about this war and someone uh, someone in that video i mean their his his or her face is not shown uh, his face was not shown on the 
video but he was saying i have seen those pictures i i'm not listening to you this okay. is where social media plays a critical role because on one side you have statements coming up from policy makers but on the other hand there are people with smartphones showing with their photos and videos that see this is what we are going through see this is what is our situation this is what we are dealing yes. with support us sympathize with us stand by us and it's not just the us it's not just the us it's uk as well labor party for the labor party the muslim votes are very important and keir samer has been criticized a lot for not calling for a ceasefire because of his stance in this particular war and this backlash has intensified to such an extent that more than 50 councillors have resigned and even though it is a fraction but it is a huge development until couple of days ago prominent politicians were not making a statement but eventually even mayor sadiq khan made a statement calling out for a ceasefire about this bbc cnn they are apologizing for the kind of uh, information that they are reporting bbc apologized for saying that pro palestinian uh, demonstrations were backing hamas this i mean this statement was made by a reporter they eventually apologized not just bbc cnn has also had to apologize for defending israeli claims that hamas beheaded babies at least in my i mean i have not seen for me this is the first time that an international media house not just one two or three several at least in my knowledge bbc and cnn have apologized i have never seen this before and this is based on the public perception perception this is based on the public outrage that is evident on social media and yes i mean the reason why i am highlighting these things is one needs to understand that again i'm going to repeat this fact point i'm i've repeated this in the previous uh, question when you asked me information warfare is very playing a huge role social media is playing a huge role you cannot just battle on the ground and just leave the narrative to whatever interpretation that is taking place it is important that this information warfare is also leveraged so that yes they are able to put forth their opinion their side of the story because there's no point if you are just sitting uh, i mean you are winning the war on ground you're losing the war on ground but you do not have uh, you are losing it out completely um, on the digital space and i think social media i mean this is something that uh, uh, it's open to interpretation but social media has also given space for the palestinian narrative why i'm saying that is because in the past yes. in, i mean let's not, not just right now let's take it 10 years back 20 years back there were a lot of jewish uh, policy makers across the world there were a lot of jewish speakers who were coming on to the uh, mainstream media giving interviews and everything but in the recent times it's not just i mean the local general population is using the uh, social media to leverage their side of the story their uh, narrative but even there are a lot of palestinians lot of speakers who are coming on to mainstream media coming on to uh, 
interviews and doing interviews on mainstream media to put forth their side of the story i mean in the most recent that i have uh, known about about these kind of programs is about the peers morgan um, interview i mean i haven't watched those videos but there are so many people that are coming through you have um, uh, mohammed hijab you have basim yusuf then there was a recent uh, then you on uh, the other hand you also had ben shapiro and the most recent one in terms of this kind of a debate was between it was a panel discussion between uh, Rab, uh, rabbi shmulek and uh, sink uigur i mean uh, i may be wrong with the pronunciation but that was the uh, <clears throat> conversations that are taking place so israeli government is also aware of it it's not i'm not saying that they are completely unaware or completely they are overlooking it because they are using various social medias they are funding a lot to uh, put forth their side of the story but at the end of the day i mean the information warfare everything that is taking place that's one side of the story but in i mean if you ask me how this has benefited i'll say more than i mean it has i mean obviously both side of the stories are coming out both of them there are various narratives that are taking place but this has also increased the hatred amongst the people the, yes. there has been if you look at any social media account there is no constructive debate that is going on there is no constructive discussion that is taking place if you yes. look at one photo one video you click on it you click on any account it's either pro palestinian or it's pro israeli and yes. both of them ask you if you ask the pro israeli group or the pro is palestinian um, group the social media accounts both of them will blame each other and both of them will say that we are the ones who are suffering you are on the other hand they'll say we are the one who are suffering this has increased the hatred amongst the uh, general population there has been there has an increasing islamophobia and anti-semitism that uh, across the world not just one particular country because social media is accessible across the world so these kind of hatred these kind of islamophobia and anti-semitism is taking place across the world it has increased yes. because uh, i mean on light of the situation that is taking place there are so many videos that are coming out someone is attacking them for their perspective someone is attacking them for their perspective one thing that yes. i've realized is on social media or anywhere you cannot have a debate if you say that this is a situation they they will eventually call you call you out they'll say oh you are anti semite you are anti semitic you are uh, uh, you are against the uh, then you will have some other who would be saying you do not uh, you are pro israeli person you do not stand for the plight of palestinians the space for having a constructive debate to un- understand the broader picture is re- being reduced by the day and the misinformation and disinformation is doing much more harm than good yes yeah i agree with this perspective and you know uh, just to kind of step a little bit ahead i mean you can briefly answer this question because iran is of course not a focus topic uh, but you can definitely touch up on this thing so what are the geopolitical Im- implications of this conflict and how it might influence the middle eastern 
in in a broader sense since the uh, october 7 attack i mean october 7 the attack took place on october 8 wall street journal brings out a report that state that it was iran that gave a green light to hamas to attack israel and they were the ones who israel, uh, helped hamas and uh, it was iran who assisted hamas in planning and operation now this has been categorically denied by israel it has been categorically designed uh, uh, denied by iran and the united states of america but in this situation there are two scenarios that comes into mind one either they are downplaying the entire role of iran in public to ensure that this situation does not escalate into a regional conflict or the fact that iran is a well known supporter of hamas this is a well known fact in terms of financing and military training and logistic support iran has been doing that because iran has been using these kind of proxies to influence increase its influence in the region because it wants i mean it wants to deal with, be involved in the entire regional uh, geopolitics and everything but the primary concern since the onset of this ground offensive since the onset of the attack was what would hezbollah do what, whether there would be a second front whether israel would be put in a situation where it would have a two front war now why particularly hezbollah is because hezbollah is also uh, it, i mean it, as in <clears throat> is an iranian proxy and is also a part of the resistance axis since the yes. beginning of the conflict hezbollah has been executing very tactical attacks on israel but it was restrained in its attack it was restrained to show solidarity with hamas but at the same time to prevent the escalation with israel this shows a kind of strategy a calculated approach from hezbollah and this i mean hamas was disappointed with it even in fact khaled mashal who is a very prominent figure of hamas said that this is not how history is written meaning that he was not um, happy with the kind of support that hezbollah is providing to hamas because they were expecting much more now the, the kind of situation was i mean this a uh, concern for a, there was this conversation for whether it would be a full fledged war or would it be a limited war that was the analysis for the first few days after the initial attack by hamas but eventually the major development with regards to what hezbollah would do was based on the speech of hasan nazrallah on november 3 this was the first time he spoke about uh, <clears throat> the israel war since the attack took place on october 7 it was a huge it was a very elaborate and comprehensive uh, speech that was given about one and a half hours uh, i mean hasan uh, nasrallah had spoken about it but on a deeper analysis it shows that nasrallah used this speech to put forth a lot of information which gave a clarity a sense of clarity to not just israel not just israeli defense forces or the politicians but also across the world because that was a major concern concern across the world again about the second front yes 
in the speech he distanced hezbollah not just hezbollah i think it, it was also iran i was listening to that speech they also uh, he distanced hezbollah and iran that by saying that the entire alaksa floods operation was initiated by the palestinian faction that they were completely independent of their decision making and this was completely kept as a secret from other groups in the resistance axis the second thing he also mentioned was to address the growing criticism against hezbollah for not supporting hamas has nazarullah went on to say that the group has been engaged in a battle since october 8 with operations launched from lebanon and it has uh, and they have also lost several fighters to show that they have also been inflicted with several casualties he also further went ahead and went uh, hinted about israel's weakness and fragility and how <clears throat> the kind of massive intelligence failure that has taken place and the kind of lack of israeli defense forces preparation to deal with such an attack because literally and figuratively a lot of commanders were caught in their pajamas so but at the same yes. time at the same time he used the speech and hinted that about hezbollah's readiness for further escalation and it was evident because hezbollah had changed its military tactics when it fired surface to surface air missiles for the first time in around the end of october and it underscored the how the group is dealing with the developing situation to counter israeli drones uh, that are identifying hezbollah fighters that are trying to approach the israeli borders but finally he gave one statement the escalation from hezbollah depends on two things the course of events that takes place in gaza and their development and second israel's activities in lebanon so this way he said the possibility of a lebanese front will for an lebanese front is a possibility and the all the options are open in my opinion the entire speech was very well articulated but it also outlined the strategy that israel needs to be very calculative when it's making any decisions or taking any actions against lebanon moreover yes. when he said that the entire situation how it unfolds in gaza when he said that he also uh, mean further escalation would be based on the situation that are taking place in uh, gaza in my opinion he that is already started taking place because there have been several uh, deeper incursion on israeli territories and uh, in the lebanese uh, lebanese territories and now why i'm saying that there were exchange of fires previously as well between both the sides and both the sides have had uh, losses but the firing the attacks that are taking place is now more and more deeper into each other's territory which is kind of creating an unstable situation this yes. took place on november 3rd and in within one week within one and a half week the situation has changed a lot because <clears throat> there have been an increased risk of rocket launches and clashes in the past uh, couple of days after the uh, speech and it's not just hezbollah but several other groups that are involved in this conflict because it was um, I, i think a couple of days ago it was uh, islamic group that stated that it it was them who had launched attacks uh, launched rockets on israel on october 18th 
not only that even us state secretary of defense lloyd austin has concerned has expressed his concern to uh, his israeli counterpart saying that there is a growing concern in the white house on the actions that are taking place in israel lebanon border that could lead to a regional conflict so the all the calculative moves need to be taken place uh, on in the israeli side as well because we have now reached a situation that rules of engagement may not low hold much longer and any miscalculation any misstep any misanalysis could lead to a further escalation that no one wants so it's i mean to conclude whether uh, i mean this situation is going to escalate or not it's not uh, as of now the concern for a full fledged war that was there since the uh, onset of the war on october 7th that was reduced but apart from that one question that eventually boils down to is to what extent hezbollah is ready to pay a price in case if they get into a full fledged war and what will be their in- interpretation for um, hamas's loss because it's not based on my perspective or your perspective that hamas is losing or winning it's the hezbollah's perspective which is different if hezbollah thinks that okay hamas is losing and they have said that depends on the situation in gaza and uh, on the lebanese border so that analysis again the, if there is any miscalculation at that in that point it can lead to an increased escalation but it's not just um, lebanon it's not just hezbollah it's not just Le- uh, lebanon based groups uh, militant groups that are of concern right now because there have the iranian proxies have been spread across the region be it syria be it iraq be it yemen and there has been an increased frequency and intensity of attacks that are taking place especially on the us bases us uh, strategic interest in the region because of the support that they are providing to israel despite the humanitarian crisis that is taking place this is this is a major concern and look at the kind of uh, attacks that are taking place now there are about <clears throat> 52 strikes as per pentagon there are about 52 strikes that have taken place since october 17 which has resulted in several casualties not death casualties injuries but there is another institute which is the washington institute for nearest Poli- near east policy which states that there have been 66 attacks by iranian proxies on us bases so there have been a surge in attacks on the us bases across the region and there have been a lot of missiles that have been launched on israel beat uh, the iran backed howdi is launching it launching ballistic missiles at israel but it was eventually intercepted and uh, by the us but uh, Uh, so this kind of a situation is taking place across the region and uh, in case this frequency of attacks eventually increases on the us basis it is obviously known that us would re- respond thereby escalating the risk of retaliation and spiraling this into a much more um, re- wider regional confrontation yes yep i think uh, you have covered uh, in an extensive manner uh, about this things uh, from the angle of iran 
but i would also like to mention that you know iran is actually well known uh, to kind of utilize uh, whatever hot plate of geopolitics is there in the third country to utilize it to their benefit for example i would like to give it from the space industry's perspective uh, during the us exit from afghanistan most of the us bases in iraq uh, were busy supporting the units in afghanistan so iran actually took that opportunity and procured commercial satellite imagery from a commercial satellite company now till today no one knows which was that company or from which part of the world it was and they used those satellite imageries to target the us bases in iraq uh several officers actually lost their lives and several other soldiers as well uh, lost their lives uh on the us base in iraq uh but yeah this is how it has been uh, iraq iran has been actually well known to you know kind of do this kind of thing that's that's one of the reason i have been very much skeptical because uh, i had uh, one guest from uh israel as well uh, israel security agency and he clearly mentioned that you know we don't think so that there is an infiltration on the intelligence level by iran but on the defense side or you know the military equipments weapons ammunitions on this side definitely there are some movements uh, but of course you know there have there has been no hard evidence on it so yeah just wanted to actually add a uh, one point uh, apurva on what you said Uh, and you know as we are reaching now the end of podcast uh, i would like to actually you know ask you like uh, just to kind of you know zoom out from the conversation and to ask this question uh, for the students because there is a lot of student and researchers even the phd researchers postdocs people as well uh, who listen to this podcast uh, so this question is basically for them so for what message would you like to share with you know student researchers and other stakeholders participating and engaging in peace and conflict research studies it is very important to look at not just one perspective or other perspective but it is very important for anyone any researcher to have a look at a broader picture look at the broader context of any conflict that is taking place across the world also we all are humans even the researchers are human it is very challenging for us to keep our bias aside when we are reporting but it is also very essential it is also very important that we make sure that our own biases do not impact the kind of research that we are doing the yes. entire understanding when it comes to what is the role of a researcher in my mind is study one side study the other side mention both and leave it for the readers so this exactly. is very important and let's hope that everyone is able to do that yes thank you very much apurva uh, for providing uh, such uh, valuable insights into the topic Uh, and i hope the audience as well enjoys this uh, and i really hope apurva to record some more episodes uh, with you in the future on some other topics as well so yeah thank you very much absolutely thank you so much for giving this opportunity
Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.